Question 109 of Summa Theologica, Pars Prima, on the Divine Government. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anne Boulay. Summa Theologica, Pars Prima, on the Divine Government, by St. Thomas Aquinas. Translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province. Question 109. The Ordering of the Bad Angels. In four articles. We now consider the ordering of the bad angels, concerning which there are four points of inquiry. 1. Whether there are orders among the demons. 2. Whether among them there is precedence. 3. Whether one enlightens another. 4. Whether they are subject to the precedence of the good angels. First article, part 1, question 109, article 1. Whether there are orders among the demons? Objection 1. It would seem that there are no orders among the demons, for order belongs to good, as also mode and species, as Augustine says. Concerning the nature of good against the Manichaeans. 3. And, on the contrary, disorder belongs to evil, but there is nothing disorderly in the good angels. Therefore, in the bad angels, there are no orders. Objection to. Further, the angelic orders are contained under a hierarchy, but the demons are not in a hierarchy, which is defined as a holy principality, for they are void of all holiness. Therefore, among the demons, there are no orders. Objection 3. Further, the demons fell from every one of the angelic orders, as is commonly supposed. Therefore, if some demons are said to belong to an order, as falling from that order, it would seem necessary to give them the names of each of those orders. But we never find that they are called seraphim, or thrones, or dominations. Therefore, on the same ground, they are not to be placed in any other order. On the contrary, the Apostle says, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, Our wrestling is against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the world of this darkness. I answer that, as explained above, question 108, articles 4, 7, and 8. Order in the angels is considered both according to the grade of nature and according to that of grace. Now grace has a twofold state, the imperfect, which is that of merit, and the perfect, which is that of consummate glory. If, therefore, we consider the angelic orders in the light of the perfection of glory, then the demons are not in the angelic orders, and never were. But if we consider them in relation to imperfect grace, in that view, the demons were at the time in the orders of the angels, but fell away from them, according to what was said above. Question 62, Article 3. That all the angels were created in grace. But if we consider them in the light of nature, in that view, they are still in those orders, because they have not lost their natural gifts. As Dionysius says, Divine Names 4. Reply Objection 1. Good can exist without evil, whereas evil cannot exist without good. Question 49, Article 3. So there is order in the demons, as possessing a good nature. 
Reply Objection 2. If we consider the ordering of the demons on the part of God, who orders them, it is sacred, for he uses the demons for himself. But on the part of the demons' will, it is not a sacred thing, because they abuse their nature for evil. Reply Objection 3. The name Seraphim is given from the ardor of charity, and the name Thrones from the divine indwelling, and the name Dominations imports a certain liberty, all of which are opposed to sin, and therefore these names are not given to the angels who sinned. Second Article, Part 1, Question 109, Article 2. Whether among the demons there is precedence? Objection 1. It would seem that there is no precedence among the demons, for every precedence is according to some order of justice, but the demons are wholly fallen from justice, therefore there is no precedence among them. Objection 2. Further, there is no precedence where obedience and subjection do not exist, but these cannot be without concord, which is not to be found among the demons. According to the text, among the proud there are always contentions. Proverbs chapter 13 verse 10. Therefore there is no precedence among the demons. Objection 3. If there be precedence among them, it is either according to nature, or according to their sin or punishment. But it is not according to their nature, for subjection and service do not come from nature, but from subsequent sin. Neither is it according to sin or punishment, because in that case, the superior demons who have sinned the most grievously would be subject to the inferior. Therefore, there is no precedence among the demons. On the contrary, on 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 24, the gloss says, While the world lasts, angels will preside over angels, men over men, and demons over demons. I answer that, since action follows the nature of a thing, where natures are subordinate, actions also must be subordinate to each other. Thus it is in corporeal things, for as the inferior bodies by natural order are below the heavenly bodies, their actions and movements are subject to the actions and movements of the heavenly bodies. Now it is plain from what we have said, Article 1, that the demons are by natural order subject to others, and hence their actions are subject to the action of those above them. And this is what we mean by precedence, that the action of the subject should be under the action of the prelate. So the very natural disposition of the demons requires that there should be authority among them. This agrees too with divine wisdom, which leaves nothing inordinate, which reacheth from end to end mightily, and ordereth all things sweetly. Wisdom chapter 8, verse 1. Reply Objection 1. The authority of the demons is not founded on their justice, but on the justice of God ordering all things. Reply Objection 2. The concord of the demons, whereby some obey others, does not arise from mutual friendships, but from their common wickedness whereby they hate men, and fight against God's justice. For it belongs to wicked men to be joined to and subject to those whom they see to be stronger, in order to carry out their own wickedness. Reply Objection 3. The demons are not equal in nature, and so among them there exists a natural precedence. 
which is not the case with men, who are naturally equal. That the inferior are subject to the superior is not for the benefit of the superior, but rather to their detriment, because since to do evil belongs in a preeminent degree to unhappiness, it follows that to preside in evil is to be more unhappy. Third article, part one, question 109, article three. Whether there is enlightenment in the demons? Objection one. It would seem that enlightenment is in the demons, for enlightenment means the manifestation of the truth, but one demon can manifest truth to another because the superior excel in natural knowledge, Therefore, the superior demons can enlighten the inferior. Objection to. Further, a body abounding in light can enlighten a body deficient in light, as the sun enlightens the moon. But the superior demons abound in the participation of natural light. Therefore, it seems that the superior demons can enlighten the inferior. On the contrary, Enlightenment is not without cleansing and perfecting, as stated above, question 106, article 1, but to cleanse does not befit the demons, according to the words. What can be made clean by the unclean? Ecclesiasticus chapter 34, verse 4, therefore neither can they enlighten. I answer that, there can be no enlightenment properly speaking among the demons, for, as above explained, Question 107, Article 2. Enlightenment, properly speaking, is the manifestation of the truth in reference to God, who enlightens every intellect. Another kind of manifestation of the truth is speech, as when one angel manifests his concept to another. Now the demon's perversity does not lead one to order another to God, but rather to lead away from the divine order. And so one demon does not enlighten another but one can make known his mental concept to another by way of speech. Reply Objection 1. Not every kind of manifestation of the truth is enlightenment, but only that which is above described. Reply Objection 2. According to what belongs to natural knowledge, there is no necessary manifestation of the truth either in the angels or in the demons, because, as above explained, Question 55, Article 2. Question 58, Article 2. Question 79, Article 2. They know from the first all that belongs to their natural knowledge. So the greater fullness of natural light in the superior demons does not prove that they can enlighten others. Fourth Article, Part 1, Question 109, Article 4 whether the good angels have precedence over the bad angels. Objection 1. It would seem that the good angels have no precedence over the bad angels, for the angels' precedence is especially connected with enlightenment. But the bad angels, being darkness, are not enlightened by the good angels. Therefore, the good angels do not rule over the bad. Objection 2. Further, superiors are responsible as regards negligence for the evil deeds of their subjects, but the demons do much evil. Therefore, if they are subject to the good angels, it seems that negligence is to be charged to the good angels, which cannot be admitted. Objection 3. Further, the angels' precedence follows upon the order of nature, as above explained, Article 2. 
But if the demons fell from every order, as is commonly said, many of the demons are superior to many good angels in the natural order. Therefore the good angels have no precedence over all the bad angels. On the contrary, Augustine says, on the Trinity 3, that the treacherous and sinful spirit of life is ruled by the rational, pious, and just spirit of life. And Gregory says, homily 34, that the powers are the angels to whose charge are subjected the hostile powers. I answer that. The whole order of precedence is first and originally in God, and it is shared by creatures accordingly as they are the nearer to God. For those creatures, which are more perfect and nearer to God, have the power to act on others. Now the greatest perfection and that which brings them nearest to God belongs to the creatures who enjoy God, as the holy angels, of which perfection the demons are deprived, and therefore the good angels have precedence over the bad, and these are ruled by them. Reply Objection 1. Many things concerning divine mysteries are made known by the holy angels to the bad angels, whenever the divine justice requires the demons to do anything for the punishment of the evil, or for the trial of the good. As in human affairs, the judge's assessors make known his sentence to the executioners. This revelation, if compared to the angelic revealers, can be called enlightenment, forasmuch as they direct it to God. But it is not an enlightenment on the part of the demons, for these do not direct it to God, but to the fulfillment of their own wickedness. Reply Objection 2. The holy angels are the ministers of the divine wisdom. Hence, as the divine wisdom permits some evil to be done by bad angels or men, for the sake of the good that follows, so also the good angels do not entirely restrain the bad from inflicting harm. Reply Objection 3. An angel who is inferior in the natural order presides over demons, although these may be naturally superior, because the power of divine justice to which the good angels cleave is stronger than the natural power of the angels. Hence likewise among men, the spiritual man judgeth all things. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15. And the philosopher says, Ethics 3, 4, 5, 5 that the virtuous man is the rule and measure of all human acts. End of question 109. Question 110 of Summa Theologica Pars Prima on the Divine Government. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Summa Theologica Pars Prima on the Divine Government by St. Thomas Aquinas Translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province Question 110. How Angels Act on Bodies We now consider how the angels preside over the corporeal creatures, under this head there are four points of inquiry. 1. Whether the corporeal creature is governed by the angels. 2. Whether the corporeal creature obeys the mere will of the angels. 3. Whether the angels by their own power can immediately move bodies locally. 4. 
whether the good or bad angels can work miracles. First article. Whether the corporeal creature is governed by the angels. Objection 1. It would seem that the corporeal creature is not governed by angels, for whatever possesses a determinate mode of action needs not to be governed by any superior power, for we require to be governed lest we do what we ought not. But corporeal things have their actions determined by the nature divinely bestowed upon them. Therefore they do not need the government of angels. Objection to Further, the lowest things are ruled by the superior, but some corporeal things are inferior, and others are superior. Therefore, they need not be governed by the angels. Objection 3. Further, the different orders of the angels are distinguished by different offices. But if corporeal creatures were ruled by the angels, there would be as many angelic offices as there are species of things so also there would be as many orders of angels as there are species of things which is against what is laid down above question one hundred eight article two therefore the corporeal creature is not governed by angels on the contrary augustine says on the trinity three and four that all bodies are ruled by the rational spirit of life and gregory says dialogues four and six that in this visible world nothing takes place without the agency of the invisible creature i answer that it is generally found both in human affairs and in natural things that every particular power is governed and ruled by the universal power as for example the bailiff's power is governed by the power of the king among the angels also as explained above question fifty five article three and question 108 article 1 the superior angels who preside over the inferior possess a more universal knowledge now it is manifest that the power of any individual body is more particular than the power of any spiritual substance for every corporeal form is a form individualized by matter and determined to the here and now whereas immaterial forms are absolute and intelligible therefore as the inferior angels who have the less universal forms are ruled by the superior so are all corporeal things ruled by the angels this is not only laid down by the holy doctors but also by all philosophers who admit the existence of incorporeal substances reply objection one corporeal things have determinate actions but they exercise such actions only according as they are moved because it belongs to a body not to act unless moved hence a corporeal creature must be moved by a spiritual creature reply objection to the reason alleged is according to the opinion of aristotle who laid down metaphysics eleven and eight that the heavenly bodies are moved by spiritual substances the number of which he endeavored to assign according to the number of motions apparent in the heavenly bodies but he did not say that there were any spiritual substances with immediate rule over the inferior bodies except perhaps human souls and this was because he did not consider that any operations were exercised in the inferior bodies except the natural ones for which the movement of the heavenly bodies sufficed 
but because we assert that many things are done in the inferior bodies besides the natural corporeal actions for which the movements of the heavenly bodies are not sufficient therefore in our opinion we must assert that the angels possess an immediate precedency not only over the heavenly bodies but also over the inferior bodies reply objection three philosophers have held different opinions about immaterial substances for plato laid down that immaterial substances were types and species of sensible bodies and that some were more universal than others and so he held that immaterial substances preside immediately over all sensible bodies and different ones over different bodies but aristotle held that immaterial substances are not the species of sensible bodies but something higher and more universal and so he did not attribute to them any immediate presiding over single bodies but only over the universal agents the heavenly bodies avicenna followed a middle course for he agreed with plato in supposing some spiritual substance to preside immediately in the sphere of active and passive elements because as plato also said he held that the forms of these sensible things are derived from immaterial substances but he differed from plato because he supposed only one immaterial substance to preside over all inferior bodies which he called the active intelligence the holy doctors held with the platonists that different spiritual substances were placed over corporeal things for augustine says eighty-three different questions question seventy-nine every visible thing in this world has an angelic power placed over it and damascene says on the orthodox faith two and four the devil was one of the angelic powers who presided over the terrestrial order and origen says on the text when the ass saw the angel numbers chapter twenty two verse twenty three that the world has need of angels who preside over beasts and over the birth of animals and trees and plants and over the increase of all other things homily fourteen on numbers the reason of this however is not that an angel is more fitted by his nature to preside over animals than over plants because each angel even the least has a higher and more universal power than any kind of corporeal things the reason is to be sought in the order of divine wisdom who places different rulers over different things nor does it follow that there are more than nine orders of angels because as above expounded question one hundred eight article two the orders are distinguished by their general offices hence as according to gregory all the angels whose proper office it is to preside over the demons are of the order of the powers so to the order of the virtues do those angels seem to belong who preside over purely corporeal creatures for by their ministration miracles are sometimes performed second article whether corporeal matter obeys the mere will of an angel objection one it would seem that corporeal matter obeys the mere will of an angel for the power of an angel excels the power of the soul but corporeal matter obeys a conception of the soul 
for the body of man is changed by a conception of the soul as regards heat and cold and sometimes even as regards health and sickness therefore much more is corporeal matter changed by a conception of an angel objection to further whatever can be done by an inferior power can be done by a superior power now the power of an angel is superior to corporeal power but the body by its power is able to transform corporeal matter as appears when fire begets fire therefore much more efficaciously can an angel by his power transform corporeal matter objection three further all corporeal nature is under angelic administration as appears above article one and thus it appears that bodies are as instruments to the angels for an instrument is essentially a mover moved now in effects there is something that is due to the power of their principal agents and which cannot be due to the power of the instrument and this it is that takes the principal place in the effect for example digestion is due to the force of natural heat which is the instrument of the nutritive soul but that living flesh is thus generated is due to the power of the soul again the cutting of the wood is from the saw but that it assumes the length the form of a bed is from the design of the joiner's art therefore the substantial form which takes the principal place in the corporeal effects is due to the angelic power therefore matter obeys the angels in receiving its form on the contrary augustine says it is not to be thought that this visible matter obeys these rebel angels for it obeys god alone i answer that the platonists phaedo forty nine timaeus didascalia volume two page two hundred eighteen asserted that the forms which are in matter are caused by immaterial forms because they said that the material forms are participations of immaterial forms avicenna followed them in this opinion to some extent for he said that all forms which are in matter proceed from the concept of the intellect and that corporeal agents only dispose matter for the forms they seem to have been deceived on this point through supposing a form to be something made per se so that it would be the effect of a formal principle but as the philosopher proves metaphysics seven didascali six and eight what is made properly speaking is the composite for this properly speaking is as it were what subsists whereas the form is called a being not as that which is but as that by which something is and consequently neither is a form properly speaking made for that is made which is since to be is nothing but the way to existence now it is manifest that what is made is like to the maker forasmuch as every agent makes its like so whatever makes natural things has a likeness to the composite either because it is composite itself as when fire begets fire or because the whole composite as to both matter and form is within its power and this belongs to god alone is to both matter and form is within its power and this belongs to god alone 
therefore every informing of matter is either immediately from god or forms some corporeal agent but not immediately from an angel reply objection one our soul is united to the body as the form and so it is not surprising for the body to be formally changed by the soul's concept especially as the movement of the sensitive appetite which is accompanied with a certain bodily change is subject to the command of reason an angel however has not the same connection with natural bodies and hence the argument does not hold reply objection to whatever an inferior power can do that a superior power can do not in the same way but in a more excellent way for example the intellect knows sensible things in a more excellent way than sense knows them so an angel can change corporeal matter in a more excellent way than can corporeal agents that is by moving the corporeal agents themselves as being the superior cause reply objection three there is nothing to prevent some natural effect taking place by angelic power for which the power of corporeal agents would not suffice this however is not to obey an angel's will as neither does matter obey the mere will of a cook when by regulating the fire according to the prescription of his art he produces a dish that the fire could not have produced by itself since to reduce matter to the act of the substantial form does not exceed the power of a corporeal agent for it is natural for like to make like third article whether bodies obey the angels as regards local motion objection one it would seem that bodies do not obey the angels in local motion for the local motion of natural bodies follows on their forms but the angels do not cause the forms of natural bodies as stated above article two therefore neither can they cause in them local motion objection two further the philosopher physics eight and seven proves that local motion is the first of all movements but the angels cannot cause other movements by a formal change of the matter therefore neither can they cause local motion objection three further the corporeal members obey the concept of the soul as regards local movement as having in themselves some principle of life in natural bodies however there is no vital principle therefore they do not obey the angels in local motion on the contrary augustine says on the trinity three eight and nine that the angels use corporeal seed to produce certain effects but they cannot do this without causing local movement therefore bodies obey them in local motion i answer that as dionysius says divine names seven divine wisdom has joined the ends of the first to the principles of the second hence it is clear that the inferior nature at its highest point is in conjunction with superior nature now corporeal nature is below the spiritual nature but among all corporeal movements the most perfect is local motion as the philosopher proves physics eight and seven the reason of this is that what is moved locally is not as such in potentiality to anything intrinsic but only to something extrinsic that is to place 
therefore the corporeal nature has a natural aptitude to be moved immediately by the spiritual nature as regards place hence also the philosophers asserted that the supreme bodies are moved locally by the spiritual substances whence we see that the soul moves the body first and chiefly by a local motion reply objection one there are in bodies other local movements besides those which result from the forms for instance the ebb and flow of the sea does not follow from the substantial form of the water but from the influence of the moon and much more can local movements result from the power of spiritual substances reply objection to the angels by causing local motion as the first motion can thereby cause other movements that is by employing corporeal agents to produce these effects as a workman employs fire to soften iron reply objection three the power of an angel is not so limited as is the power of the soul hence the motive power of the soul is limited to the body united to it which is vivified by it and by which it can move other things but an angel's power is not limited to any body hence it can move locally bodies not joined to it fourth article whether angels can work miracles objection one it would seem that the angels can work miracles for gregory says homily thirty four on the gospels those spirits are called virtues by whom signs and miracles are usually done objection to further augustine says eighty-three different questions question seventy-nine that magicians work miracles by private contracts good christian by public justice bad christians by the signs of public justice but magicians work miracles because they are heard by the demons as he says elsewhere in the same work compare book of twenty-one sentences sentence four among the supposititious works of saint augustine therefore the demons can work miracles therefore much more can the good angels objection three further augustine says in the same work compare book of twenty-one sentences sentence four among the supposititious works of saint augustine that it is not absurd to believe that all the things we see happen may be brought about by the lower powers that dwell in our atmosphere but when an effect of natural causes is produced outside the order of the natural cause we call it a miracle as for instance when any one is cured of a fever without the operation of nature therefore the angels and demons can work miracles objection for further superior power is not subject to the order of an inferior cause but corporeal nature is inferior to an angel therefore an angel can work outside the order of corporeal agents which is to work miracles on the contrary it is written of god psalms chapter one hundred thirty five verse four who alone doth great wonders i answer that a miracle properly so called is when something is done outside the order of nature but it is not enough for a miracle if something is done outside the order of any particular nature 
for otherwise anyone would perform a miracle by throwing a stone upwards as such a thing is outside the order of the stone's nature so for a miracle is required that it be against the order of the whole created nature but god alone can do this because whatever an angel or any other creature does by its own power is according to the order of created nature and thus it is not a miracle hence god alone can work miracles reply objection one some angels are said to work miracles either because god works miracles at their request in the same way as holy men are said to work miracles or because they exercise a kind of ministry in the miracles which take place as in collecting the dust in the general resurrection or by doing something of that kind reply objection to properly speaking as said above miracles are those things which are done outside the order of the whole created nature but as we do not know all the power of created nature it follows that when anything is done outside the order of created nature by a power unknown to us it is called a miracle as regards ourselves so when the demons do anything of their own natural power these things are called miracles not in an absolute sense but in reference to ourselves in this way the magicians work miracles through the demons and these are said to be done by private contracts for as much as every power of the creature in the universe may be compared to the power of a private person in a city hence when a magician does anything by compact with the devil this is done as it were by private contract on the other hand the divine justice is in the whole universe as the public law is in the city therefore good christians so far as they work miracles by divine justice are said to work miracles by public justice but bad christians by the signs of public justice as by invoking the name of christ or by making use of other sacred signs reply objection three spiritual powers are able to effect whatever happens in this visible world by employing corporeal seeds by local movement reply objection four although the angels can do something which is outside the order of corporeal nature yet they cannot do anything outside the whole created order which is essential to a miracle as above explained end of question one hundred ten recording by Shena Sare, Fresno, California. Question 111 of Summa Theologica, Pars Prima, on the Divine Government. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anna Simon. Summa Theologica, Pars Prima, on the Divine Government, by St. Thomas Aquinas, translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province. Question 111. The Action of the Angels on Man, in four articles. We now consider the action of the angels on man, and inquire, 1. How far they can change them by their own natural power. 2. How they are sent by God to the ministry of men. 3. How they guard and protect men. Under the first head there are four points of inquiry. 
one, whether an angel can enlighten the human intellect, two, whether he can change man's will, three, whether he can change man's imagination, four, whether he can change man's senses. First article, 1, question 111, article 1. Whether an angel can enlighten man. Objection 1. It would seem that an angel cannot enlighten man, for man is enlightened by faith. Hence Dionysius, the Ecclesiastical Hierarchy 3, attributes enlightenment to baptism as the sacrament of faith. But faith is immediately from God, according to Ephesians 2.8. By grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, for it is the gift of God. End quote. Therefore, man is not enlightened by an angel, but immediately by God. Objection 2. Further, on the words, quote, God hath manifested it to them, end quote, Romans 1.19, the gloss observes that, quote, not only natural reason availed for the manifestation of divine truth to men, but God also revealed them by his work, end quote, that is, by his creature but both are immediately from God, that is, natural reason and the creature. Therefore, God enlightens man immediately. Objection 3. Further, whoever is enlightened is conscious of being enlightened, but man is not conscious of being enlightened by angels. Therefore, he is not enlightened by them. On the contrary, Dionysius says, on the heavenly hierarchy, 4 that the revelation of divine things reaches men through the ministry of the angels. But such revelation is an enlightenment, as we have stated. Question 106, Article 1. Question 107, Article 2. Therefore, men are enlightened by the angels. I answer that, since the order of divine providence disposes that lower things be subject to the actions of higher, as explained above, question 109, article 2, as the inferior angels are enlightened by the superior, so men who are inferior to the angels are enlightened by them. The modes of each of these kinds of enlightenment are in one way alike and in another way unlike, for, as was shown above, question 106, article 1, the enlightenment which consists in making known divine truth has two functions, namely, according as the inferior intellect is strengthened by the action of the superior intellect, and according as the intelligible species which are in the superior intellect are proposed to the inferior so as to be grasped thereby. This takes place in the angels when the superior angel divides his universal concept of the truth according to the capacity of the inferior angel, as explained above, Question 106, Article 1. The human intellect, however, cannot grasp the universal truth itself unveiled, because its nature requires it to understand by turning to the phantasms, as above explained, Question 84, Article 7. So the angels propose the intelligible truth to men under the similitudes of sensible things, according to what Dionysius says, the heavenly hierarchy 1 that, quote, it is impossible for the divine ray to shine on us 
otherwise than shrouded by the variety of the sacred veils. End quote. On the other hand, the human intellect as the inferior is strengthened by the action of the angelic intellect, and in these two ways man is enlightened by an angel. Reply Objection 1. Two dispositions concur in the virtue of faith. First, the habit of the intellect, whereby it is disposed to obey the will tending to divine truth. For the intellect assents to the truth of faith, not as convinced by the reason, but as commanded by the will. Hence Augustine says, quote, No one believes except willingly. End quote. In this respect, faith comes from God alone. Secondly, faith requires that what is to be believed be proposed to the believer, which is accomplished by man, according to Romans 10.17, faith cometh by hearing, end quote. principally, however, by the angels, by whom divine things are revealed to man. Hence the angels have some part in the enlightenment of faith. Moreover, men are enlightened by the angels not only concerning what is to be believed, but also as regards what is to be done. Reply Objection 2. Natural reason, which is immediately from God, can be strengthened by an angel, as we have said above. Again, the more the human intellect is strengthened, so much higher an intelligible truth can be elicited from the species derived from creatures. Thus, man is assisted by an angel, so that he may obtain from creatures a more perfect knowledge of God. Reply Objection 3. Intellectual operation and enlightenment can be understood in two ways. First, on the part of the object understood. Thus, whoever understands or is enlightened knows that he understands or is enlightened, because he knows that the object is made known to him. Secondly, on the part of the principle and thus it does not follow that whoever understands the truth knows what the intellect is, which is the principle of the intellectual operation. In like manner, not everyone who is enlightened by an angel knows that he is enlightened by him. Second article. 1. Question 111. Article 2. Whether the angels can change the will of man. Objection 1. It would seem that the angels can change the will of man. For, upon the text, quote, Who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire, end quote, Hebrews 1 7, the gloss notes that, quote, They are fire as being spiritually fervent and as burning away our vices. End quote. This could not be, however, unless they changed the will. Therefore, the angels can change the will. Objection 2. Further, Bede says, about Matthew 15.11, that, quote, the devil does not send wicked thoughts, but kindles them, end quote. Damascene, however, says that he also sends them, for he remarks that, quote, every malicious act and unclean passion is contrived by the demons and put into men, end quote. On the Orthodox Faith 2.4. In like manner, also, the good angels introduce and kindle good thoughts, but this could only be if they changed the will. Therefore, the will is changed by them. Objection 3. Further, the angel, as above explained, enlightens the human intellect by means of the phantasms, 
but as the imagination which serves the intellect can be changed by an angel, so can the sensitive appetite which serves the will, because it also is a faculty using a corporeal organ. Therefore, as the angel enlightens the mind, so can he change the will. On the contrary, to change the will belongs to God alone, according to Proverbs 21.1, quote, The heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, whithersoever he will, he shall turn it, end quote. I answer that the will can be changed in two ways, first from within, in which way, since the movement of the will is nothing but the inclination of the will to the thing willed, God alone can thus change the will, because he gives the power of such an inclination to the intellectual nature. For as the natural inclination is from God alone, who gives the nature, so the inclination of the will is from God alone, who causes the will. Secondly, the will is moved from without. As regards an angel, this can be only in one way, by the good apprehended by the intellect. Hence, in as far as any one may be the cause why anything be apprehended as an appetible good, so far does he move the will. In this way also, God alone can move the will efficaciously, but an angel and man move the will by way of persuasion, as above explained. Question 106, Article 2. In addition to this mode, the human will can be moved from without in another way, namely, by the passion residing in the sensitive appetite. Thus, by concupiscence or anger, the will is inclined to will something. In this manner, the angels, as being able to arouse these passions, can move the will, not, however, by necessity, for the will ever remains free to consent to or to resist the passion. Reply Objection 1 Those who act as God's ministers, either men or angels, are said to burn away vices and to incite to virtue by way of persuasion. Reply Objection 2 the demon cannot put thoughts in our minds by causing them from within, since the act of the cogitative faculty is subject to the will. Nevertheless, the devil is called the kindler of thoughts, inasmuch as he incites to thought by the desire of the things thought of, by way of persuasion, or by rousing the passions. Damascene calls this kindling a putting in, because such a work is accomplished within but good thoughts are attributed to a higher principle, namely, God, though they may be procured by the ministry of the angels. Reply Objection 3. The human intellect in its present state can understand only by turning to the phantasms, but the human will can will something following the judgment of reason rather than the passion of the sensitive appetite. Hence, the comparison does not hold. Third Article. 1. Question 111. Article 3. Whether an angel can change man's imagination. Objection 1. It would seem that an angel cannot change man's imagination. For the fantasy, as is said on the soul 3, is, quote, a motion caused by the sense in act, end quote. But if this motion were caused by an angel, it would not be caused by the sense in act. Therefore, it is contrary to the nature of the fantasy, which is the act of the imaginative faculty, to be changed by an angel. Objection 2. Further, since the forms in the imagination are spiritual, they are nobler than the forms existing in sensible matter. But an angel cannot impress forms upon sensible matter. Question 110, Article 2. 
Therefore, he cannot impress forms on the imagination, and so he cannot change it. Objection 3. Further, Augustine says, the literal meaning of Genesis 12.12, 12, One spirit, by intermingling with another, can communicate his knowledge to the other spirit by these images, so that the latter either understands it himself, or accepts it as understood by the other. End quote but it does not seem that an angel can be mingled with the human imagination, nor that the imagination can receive the knowledge of an angel. Therefore, it seems that an angel cannot change the imagination. Objection 4. Further, in the imaginative vision, man cleaves to the similitudes of the things as to the things themselves, but in this there is deception. So as a good angel cannot be the cause of deception, it seems that he cannot cause the imaginative vision by changing the imagination. On the contrary, those things which are seen in dreams are seen by imaginative vision, but the angels reveal things in dreams, as appears from Matthew one twenty, two thirteen, nineteen, in regard to the angel who appeared to Joseph in dreams. Therefore, an angel can move the imagination. I answer that both a good and a bad angel by their own natural power can move the human imagination. This may be explained as follows, for it was said above, question 110, article 3, that corporeal nature obeys the angel as regards local movement, so that whatever can be caused by the local movement of bodies is subject to the natural power of the angels. Now, it is manifest that imaginative apparitions are sometimes caused in us by the local movement of animal spirits and humours. Hence Aristotle says, on sleep and waking, on dreams three, when assigning the cause of visions in dreams that, quote, when an animal sleeps, the blood descends in abundance to the sensitive principle, and movements descend with it, end quote. That is, the impressions left from the movements are preserved in the animal's spirits, quote, and move the sensitive principle, end quote so that a certain appearance ensues as if the sensitive principle were being then changed by the external objects themselves. Indeed, the commotion of the spirits and humours may be so great that such appearances may even occur to those who are awake, as is seen in mad people and the like. So, as this happens by a natural disturbance of the humours, and sometimes also by the will of man who voluntarily imagines what he previously experienced, so also the same may be done by the power of a good or a bad angel, sometimes with alienation from the bodily senses, sometimes without such alienation. Reply Objection 1. The first principle of the imagination is from the sense in act, for we cannot imagine what we have never perceived by the senses, either wholly or partly, as a man born blind cannot imagine colour. Sometimes, however, the imagination is informed in such a way that the act of the imaginative movement arises from the impressions preserved within. Reply Objection 2. An angel changes the imagination, not indeed by the impression of an imaginative form in no way previously received from the senses, for he cannot make a man born blind imagine colour, but by local movement of the spirits and humours as above explained. Reply Objection 3. The commingling of the angelic spirit with the human imagination is not a mingling of essences, 
but by reason of an effect which he produces in the imagination in the way above stated, so that he shows man what he, the angel, knows, but not in the way he knows. Reply Objection 4. An angel causing an imaginative vision sometimes enlightens the intellect at the same time, so that it knows what these images signify, and then there is no deception. But sometimes, by the angelic operation, the similitudes of things only appear in the imagination. But neither, then, is deception caused by the angel, but by the defect in the intellect to whom such things appear. Thus, neither was Christ a cause of deception when he spoke many things to the people in parables, which he did not explain to them. Fourth Article, 1, Question 111, Article 4. Whether an angel can change the human senses. Objection 1. It seems that an angel cannot change the human senses, for the sensitive operation is a vital operation. But such an operation does not come from an extrinsic principle. Therefore, the sensitive operation cannot be caused by an angel. Objection 2. Further, the sensitive operation is nobler than the nutritive, but the angel cannot change the nutritive power, nor other natural forms. Therefore, neither can he change the sensitive power. Objection 3. Further, the senses are naturally moved by the sensible objects, but an angel cannot change the order of nature. Question 110, Article 4. Therefore, an angel cannot change the senses, but these are changed always by the sensible object. On the contrary, the angels who overturned Sodom, quote, struck the people of Sodom with blindness or aurasia, so that they could not find the door, end quote. Genesis 19.11. It is worth noting that these are the only two passages in the Greek version where the word aurasia appears. It expresses, in fact, the effect produced on the people of Sodom, namely, dazzling, French version, éblouissement, which the Latin kekitas, blindness, does not necessarily imply. The same is recorded of the Syrians, whom Elysius led into Samaria, 4 Kings 6.18. I answer that the senses may be changed in a twofold manner, from without, as when affected by the sensible object, and from within, for we see that the senses are changed when the spirits and humours are disturbed, as, for example, a sick man's tongue, charged with choleric humour, tastes everything as bitter, and the like with the other senses. Now an angel, by his natural power, can work a change in the senses both ways, for an angel can offer the senses a sensible object from without, formed by nature or by the angel himself, as when he assumes a body, as we have said above, Question 51, Article 2. Likewise, he can move the spirits and humours from within, as above remarked, whereby the senses are changed in various ways. Reply Objection 1. The principle of the sensitive operation cannot be without the interior principle, which is the sensitive power. But this interior principle can be moved in many ways by the exterior principle, as above explained. Reply Objection 2. By the interior movement of the spirits and humours, an angel can do something towards changing the act of the nutritive power, and also of the appetitive and sensitive power, and of any other power using a corporeal organ. Reply Objection 3. 
An angel can do nothing outside the entire order of creatures, but he can outside some particular order of nature, since he is not subject to that order. Thus, in some special way, an angel can work a change in the senses outside the common mode of nature. End of question 111「Question 112 of Summa Theologica Pars Prima on the Divine Government」This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Summa Theologica Pars Prima on the Divine Government by St. Thomas Aquinas Translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province Question 112 the mission of the angels we next consider the mission of the angels under this head arise four points of inquiry one whether any angels are sent on works of ministry two whether all are sent three whether those who are sent assist four from what orders they are sent first article whether the angels are sent on works of ministry objection one it would seem that the angels are not sent on works of ministry, for every mission is to some determinate place. But intellectual actions do not determine a place, for intellect abstracts from the here and now. Since, therefore, the angelic actions are intellectual, it appears that the angels are not sent to perform their own actions. Objection 2. Further, the Empyrean heaven is the place that beseems the angelic dignity. Therefore, if they are sent to us in ministry, it seems that something of their dignity would be lost, which is unseemly. 3. Further, external occupation hinders the contemplation of wisdom. Hence it is said, He that is less in action shall receive wisdom. Sirach chapter 38 verse 25 So if some angels are sent on external ministrations, they would seemingly be hindered from contemplation. But the whole of their beatitude consists in the contemplation of God, so if they were sent, their beatitude would be lessened, which is unfitting. Objection 4. Further, to minister is the part of an inferior. Hence it is written, Luke chapter 22 verse 27, Which is the greater, he that sitteth at table, or he that serveth? Is not he that sitteth at table? But the angels are naturally greater than we are, Therefore, they are not sent to administer to us. On the contrary, it is written, Exodus chapter 23, verse 20, Behold, I will send my angels, who shall go before thee. I answer that, from what has been said above, question 108, article 6, it may be shown that some angels are sent in ministry by God. For as we have already stated, question 43, article 1, in treating of the mission of the divine persons, he is said to be sent who in any way proceeds from another so as to begin to be where he was not or to be in another way where he already was. Thus the Son or the Holy Ghost is said to be sent as proceeding from the Father by origin and begins to be in a new way by grace or by the nature assumed where he was before by the presence of his Godhead for it belongs to God to be present everywhere because, since he is the universal agent, his power reaches to all being, and hence he exists in all things. 
Question 8. Article 1. An angel's power, however, as a particular agent, does not reach to the whole universe, but reaches to one thing in such a way as not to reach another, and so he is here in such a manner as not to be there. But it is clear from what was above stated, question 110, article 1, that the corporeal creature is governed by the angels. Hence, whenever an angel has to perform any work concerning a corporeal creature, the angel applies himself anew to that body by his power, and in that way begins to be there afresh. Now all this takes place by divine command. Hence it follows that an angel is sent by God. Yet the action performed by the angel who is sent proceeds from God as from its first principle, at whose nod and by whose authority the angels work, and is reduced to God as to its last end. Now this is what is meant by a minister, for a minister is an intelligent instrument, while an instrument is moved by another and its action is ordered to another. Hence angels' actions are called ministries, and for this reason they are said to be sent in ministry reply objection one an operation can be intellectual in two ways in one way as dwelling in the intellect itself as contemplation such an operation does not demand to occupy a place indeed as augustine says on the trinity four and twenty even we ourselves as mentally tasting something eternal are not in this world in another sense an action is said to be intellectual because it is regulated and commanded by some intellect in that sense the intellectual operations evidently have sometimes a determinate place reply objection to the empyrean heaven belongs to the angelic dignity by way of congruity forasmuch as it is congruous that the higher body should be attributed to that nature which occupies a rank above bodies Yet an angel does not derive his dignity from the Empyrean heaven. So when he is not actually in the Empyrean heaven, nothing of his dignity is lost, as neither does a king lessen his dignity when not actually sitting on his regal throne, which suits his dignity. Reply Objection 3 In ourselves, the purity of contemplation is obscured by exterior occupation, because we give ourselves to action through the sensitive faculties, the action of which, when intense, impedes the action of the intellectual powers. An angel, on the contrary, regulates his exterior actions by intellectual operation alone. Hence it follows that his external occupations in no respect impede his contemplation, because given two actions, one of which is the rule and the reason of the other, one does not hinder but helps the other. Wherefore, Gregory says, Morals in the Book of Job, too, that the angels do not go abroad in such a manner as to lose the delights of inward contemplation. Reply, Objection 4. In their external actions, the angels chiefly minister to God, and secondarily to us, not because we are superior to them, absolutely speaking, but because, since every man or angel, by cleaving to God, is made one spirit with God, he is thereby superior to every creature. Hence the Apostle says, Philippians chapter 2 verse 3, esteeming others better than themselves. Second article. Whether all the angels are sent in ministry. Objection 1. It would seem that all the angels are sent in ministry. For the Apostle says, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14, all are ministering spirits sent to minister. 
Vulgate, are they not all? Objection 2. Further, among the orders, the highest is that of the seraphim, as stated above. Question 108, Article 6. But a seraph was sent to purify the lips of the prophet. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, much more are the inferior orders sent. Objection 3. Further, the divine persons infinitely excel all the angelic orders, but the divine persons are sent. Therefore, much more are even the highest angels sent. Objection 4. Further, if the superior angels are not sent to the external ministries, this can only be because the superior angels execute the divine ministries by means of the inferior angels. But as all the angels are unequal, as stated above, question 50, article 4, each angel has an angel inferior to himself except the last one. Therefore, only the last angel would be sent in ministry, which contradicts the words, thousands of thousands ministered to him daniel chapter seven verse ten on the contrary gregory says homily thirty four on the gospels quoting the statement of genetius on the heavenly hierarchy thirteen that the higher ranks fulfil no exterior service i answer that as appears from what has been said above question one hundred six article three and question 110 article 1 the order of divine providence has so disposed not only among the angels but also in the whole universe that inferior things are administered by the superior but the divine dispensation however this order is sometimes departed from as regards corporeal things for the sake of a higher order that is according as it is suitable for the manifestation of grace that the man born blind was enlightened that lazarus was raised from the dead was accomplished immediately by god without the action of the heavenly bodies moreover both good and bad angels can work some effect in these bodies independently of the heavenly bodies by the condensation of the clouds to rain and by producing some such effects nor can any one doubt that god can immediately reveal things to men without the help of the angels and the superior angels without the inferior from this standpoint some have said that according to the general law the superior angels are not sent but only the inferior yet that sometimes by divine dispensation the superior angels also are sent it may also be said that the apostle wishes to prove that christ is greater than the angels who were chosen as the messengers of the law in order that he might show the excellence of the new over the old law hence there is no need to apply this to any other angels besides those who were sent to give the law reply objection to according to Dionysius, on the heavenly hierarchy thirteen the angel who was sent to purify the prophet's lips was one of the inferior order but was called a seraph that is kindling in an equivocal sense because he came to kindle the lips of the prophet it may also be said that the superior angels communicate their own proper gifts whereby they are denominated through the ministry of the inferior angels thus one of the seraphim is described as purifying by fire the prophet's lips not as if he did so immediately but because an inferior angel did so by his power as the pope is said to absolve a man when he gives absolution by means of someone else reply objection three 
the divine persons are not sent in ministry but are said to be sent in an equivocal sense as appears from what has been said question forty three article one reply objection four a manifold grade exists in the divine ministries hence there is nothing to prevent angels though unequal from being sent immediately in ministry in such a manner however that the superior are sent to the higher ministries and the lower to the inferior ministries third article whether all the angels who are sent assist objection one it would seem that the angels who are sent also assist for gregory says homily thirty four on the gospels so the angels are sent and assist for though the angelic spirit is limited yet the supreme spirit god is not limited objection to further the angel was sent to administer to tobias yet he said i am the angel raphael one of the seven who stand before the lord tobit chapter twelve verse fifteen therefore the angels who are sent assist objection three further every holy angel is nearer to god than satan is yet satan assisted god according to job chapter one verse six when the sons of god came to stand before the lord satan also was present among them therefore much more do the angels who are sent to minister assist objection four further if the inferior angels do not assist the reason is because they receive the divine enlightenment not immediately but through the superior angels but every angel receives a divine enlightenment from a superior except the one who is highest of all therefore only the highest angel would assist which is contrary to the text of daniel chapter seven verse ten ten thousand times a hundred thousand stood before him therefore the angels who are sent also assist on the contrary gregory says on job chapter twenty five verse three is there any numbering of his soldiers morals in the book of job seventeen those powers assist who do not go forth as messengers to men therefore those who are sent in ministry do not assist i answer that the angels are spoken of as assisting and administering after the likeness of those who attend upon a king some of whom ever wait upon him and hear his commands immediately while others there are to whom the royal commands are conveyed by those who are in attendance for instance those who are placed at the head of the administration of various cities these are said to administer not to assist we must therefore observe that all the angels gaze upon the divine essence immediately in regard to which all even those who minister are said to assist hence gregory says morals on the book of job two that those who are sent on the external ministry of our salvation can always assist and see the face of the father yet not all the angels can perceive the secrets of the divine mysteries in the clearness itself of the divine essence but only the superior angels who announce them to the inferior and in that respect only the superior angels belonging to the highest hierarchy are said to assist whose special prerogative it is to be enlightened immediately by god from this may be deduced the reply to the first and second objections which are based on the first mode of assisting reply objection three satan is not described as having assisted 
but as present among the assistants for as gregory says morals on the book of job too though he has lost beatitude still he has retained a nature like to the angels reply objection four all the assistants see some things immediately in the glory of the divine essence and so it may be said that it is the prerogative of the whole of the highest hierarchy to be immediately enlightened by god while the higher ones among them see more than is seen by the inferior some of whom enlighten others as also among those who assist the king one knows more of the king's secrets than another fourth article whether all the angels of the second hierarchy are sent objection one it would seem that all the angels of the second hierarchy are sent for all the angels either assist or minister according to daniel chapter seven verse ten but the angels of the second hierarchy do not assist for they are enlightened by the angels of the first hierarchy as Junetius says on the heavenly hierarchy eight therefore all the angels of the second hierarchy are sent in ministry objection to further gregory says morals on the book of job seventeen that there are more who minister than who assist this would not be the case if the angels of the second hierarchy were not sent in ministry therefore all the angels of the second hierarchy are sent to minister on the contrary genesius says on the heavenly hierarchy eight that the dominations are above all subjection but to be sent implies subjection therefore the dominations are not sent to minister i answer that as above stated article one to be sent to external ministry properly belongs to an angel according as he acts by divine command in respect of any corporeal creature which is part of the execution of the divine ministry now the angelic properties are manifested by their names as genetius says on the heavenly hierarchy seven and therefore the angels of those orders are sent to external ministry whose names signify some kind of administration but the name dominations does not signify any such administration but only disposition and command in administering on the other hand the names of the inferior orders imply administration for the angels and archangels are so called from announcing the virtues and powers are so called in respect of some act and it is right that the prince according to what gregory says homily thirty four on the gospels be first among the workers hence it belongs to these five orders to be sent to external ministry not to the four superior orders reply objection one the dominations are reckoned among the ministering angels not as exercising but as disposing and commanding what is to be done by others thus an architect does not put his hands to the production of his art but only disposes and orders what others are to do reply objection to a twofold reason may be given in assigning the number of the assisting and ministering angels for gregory says that those who minister are more numerous than those who assist because he takes the words daniel chapter seven verse ten thousands of thousands ministered to him not in a multiple but in a partitive sense to mean thousands out of thousands thus the number of those who minister is indefinite and signifies excess 
while the number of assistants is finite as in the words added and ten thousand times a hundred thousand assisted him this explanation rests on the opinion of the platonists who said that the nearer things are to the one first principle the smaller they are in number as the nearer a number is to unity the lesser it is than multitude this opinion is verified as regards the number of orders as six administer and three assist genetius however on the heavenly hierarchy fourteen declares that the multitude of angels surpasses all the multitude of material things so that as the superior bodies exceed the inferior in magnitude to an immeasurable degree so the superior incorporeal natures surpass all corporeal natures in multitude because whatever is better is more intended and more multiplied by god hence as the assistants are superior to the ministers there will be more assistants than ministers in this way the words thousands of thousands are taken by way of multiplication to signify a thousand times a thousand and because ten times a hundred is a thousand if it were said ten times a hundred thousand it would mean that there are as many assistants as ministers but since it is written ten thousand times a hundred thousand we are given to understand that the assistants are much more numerous than the ministers nor is this said to signify that this is the precise number of angels but rather that it is much greater in that it exceeds all material multitude this is signified by the multiplication together of all the greatest numbers namely ten a hundred and a thousand as genetius remarks in the same passage end of question one hundred twelve recording by shenna Sayre, fresno california Question 113 of Summa Theologica, Pars Prima, on the Divine Government. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Summa Theologica, Pars Prima, on the Divine Government, by St. Thomas Aquinas, translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province. Question 113 of the Guardianship of the Good Angels, in eight articles. We next consider the guardianship exercised by the good angels, and their warfare against the bad angels. Under the first head, eight points of inquiry arise. 1. Whether men are guarded by the angels. 2. Whether to each man is assigned a single guardian angel. 3. Whether the guardianship belongs only to the lowest order of angels. 4 whether it is fitting for each man to have an angel guardian. 5. When does an angel's guardianship of a man begin? 6. Whether the angel guardians always watch over men. 7. Whether the angel grieves over the loss of the one guarded. 8. Whether rivalry exists among the angels as regards their guardianship. First article. Whether men are guarded by the angels. Objection 1. It would seem that men are not guarded by the angels, for guardians are deputed to some because they either know not how or are not able to guard themselves as children and the sick. But man is able to guard himself by his free will, and knows how by his natural knowledge of natural law. Therefore, man is not guarded by an angel. 
Objection 2. Further, a strong guard makes a weaker one superfluous. But men are guarded by God, according to Psalm 124. He shall neither slumber nor sleep that keepeth Israel. Therefore, man does not need to be guarded by an angel. Objection 3. Further, the loss of the guarded redounds to the negligence of the guardian. Hence it was said to a certain one, Keep this man, and if he shall slip away, thy life shall be for his life. 3 Kings 20.39 Now many perish daily through falling into sin, whom the angels could help by visible appearance, or by miracles, or in some such-like way. The angels will therefore be negligent if men are given to their guardianship. But that is clearly false. Therefore, the angels are not the guardians of men. On the contrary, it is written, Psalm 90, 11, He hath given his angels charge over thee, to keep thee in all thy ways. I answer, that according to the plan of divine providence, we find that in all things the movable and variable are moved and regulated by the immovable and invariable, as all corporeal things by immovable spiritual substances, and the inferior bodies by the superior, which are invariable in substance. We ourselves also are regulated as regards conclusions, about which we may have various opinions, by the principles which we hold in an invariable manner. It is moreover manifest that, as regards things to be done, human knowledge and affection can vary and fail from good in many ways. And so, it was necessary that angels should be deputed for the guardianship of men, in order to regulate them and move them to good. Reply to Objection 1. By free will, men can avoid evil to a certain degree, but not in any sufficient degree. For as much as he is weak in affection towards good on account of the manifold passions of the soul, likewise, universal natural knowledge of the law, which by nature belongs to men, to a certain degree directs men to good, but not in a sufficient degree. Because in the application of the universal principles of law to particular actions, man happens to be deficient in many ways. Hence it is written, Wisdom 9.14, the thoughts of mortal men are fearful, and our counsels uncertain. Thus man needs to be guarded by the angels. Reply to Objection 2. Two things are required for a good action. First, that the affection be inclined to good, which is effected in us by the habit of mortal virtue. Secondly, that reason should discover the proper methods to make perfect the good of virtue. This the philosopher, Ethics 6, attributes to prudence. As regards the first, God guards man immediately by infusing into him grace and virtues. As regards the second, God guards man as his universal instructor, whose precepts reach men by the medium of the angels, as above stated. Question 111, Article 1. Reply to Objection 3. As men depart from the natural instinct of good, by reason of a sinful passion, so also do they depart from the instigation of the good angels, which takes place invisibly when they enlighten men that he may do what is right. 
hence that men perish, is not to be imputed to the negligence of the angels, but to the malice of men. That they sometimes appear to men visibly outside the ordinary course of nature comes from a special grace of God, as likewise that miracles occur outside the order of nature. Second article. Whether each man is guarded by an angel. Objection 1. It would seem that each man is not guarded by an angel, for an angel is stronger than a man. But one man suffices to guard many men. Therefore, much more can one angel guard many men. Objection 2. Further, the lower things are brought to God through the medium of the higher, as Dionysus says on the heavenly hierarchy 4.13. But as all the angels are unequal, question 50, article 4, there is only one angel between whom and men there is no medium. Therefore, there is only one angel who immediately keeps men. Objection 3. Further, the greater angels are deputed to the greater offices. But it is not a greater office to keep one man more than another, since all men are naturally equal. Since, therefore, of all the angels, one is greater than another, as Dionysius says on the heavenly hierarchy 10, it seems that different men are not guarded by different angels. On the contrary, on the text, their angels in heaven, etc., Matthew 8.10, Jerome says, Great is the dignity of souls, for each one to have an angel deputed to guard it from its birth. I answer that, each man has an angel guardian appointed to him. This rests upon the fact that the guardianship of angels belongs to the execution of divine providence concerning men. But God's providence acts differently as regards men and as regards other corruptible creatures, for they are related differently to incorruptibility. For men are not only incorruptible in the common species, but also in the proper forms of each individual, which are the rational souls, which cannot be said of other incorruptible things. Now, it is manifest that the providence of God is chiefly exercised towards what remains forever, whereas, as regards things which pass away, the providence of God acts so as to order their existence to the things which are perpetual. Thus, the providence of God is related to each man as it is to every genus or species of things corruptible. But, according to Gregory, homily 34 on the Gospels, the different orders are deputed to the different genera of things, for instance, the powers to coerce the demons, the virtues to work miracles in things corporeal, while it is probable that the different species are presided over by different angels of the same order. Hence, it is also reasonable to suppose that different angels are appointed to the guardianship of different men. Reply to Objection 1. A guardian may be assigned to a man for two reasons. First, inasmuch as a man is an individual, and thus, to one man, one guardian is due. And sometimes, several are appointed to guard one. Secondly, inasmuch as a man is part of a community, and thus one man is appointed as guardian of a whole community, to whom it belongs to provide what concerns one man in his relation to the whole community, such as external works, which are sources of strength or weakness to others. But angel guardians are given to men also as regards invisible and occult things, 
concerning the salvation of each one in his own regard. Hence, individual angels are appointed to guard individual men. Reply to Objection 2. As above stated, in question 112, articles 3 and 4, all the angels of the first hierarchy are, as to some things, enlightened by God directly, but as to other things, only the superior are directly enlightened by God, and these reveal them to the inferior. And the same also applies to the inferior orders, for a lower angel is enlightened in some respects by one of the highest, and in other respects by the one immediately above him. Thus, it is possible that some one angel enlightens a man immediately, and yet has other angels beneath him whom he enlightens. Reply to Objection 3. Although men are equal in nature, still inequality exists among them, according as divine providence orders some to the greater and others to the lesser things, according to Syrac 33, 11, and 12. With much knowledge the Lord hath divided them, and diversify their ways. Some of them hath he blessed and exalted, and some of them hath he cursed and brought low. Thus it is a greater office to guard one man than another. Third article, whether to guard men belongs only to the lowest order of angels. Objection 1. It would seem that the guardianship of men does not belong only to the lowest order of the angels. For Chrysostom says that the text... Matthew 18.10, their angels in heaven, etc., is to be understood not of any angels, but of the highest. Therefore, the superior angels guard men. Objection 2. Further, the apostle says that angels are sent to minister for them who shall receive the inheritance of salvation. Hebrews 1.14. And thus it seems that the mission of the angels is directed to the guardianship of men. But five orders are sent in external ministry, question 112, article 4. Therefore, all the angels of the five orders are deputed to the guardianship of men. Objection 3. Further, for the guardianship of men, it seems especially necessary to coerce the demons, which belongs most of all to the powers, according to Gregory, homily 34 on the Gospels, and to work miracles, which belongs to the virtues. Therefore, these orders are also deputed to the work of guardianship, and not only the lowest order. On the contrary, in the Psalm 90, the guardianship of men is attributed to the angels, who belong to the lowest order, according to Dionysus, on the heavenly hierarchy 5.9. I answer that, as above stated, Article 2, men is guarded in two ways. In one way, by particular guardianship, according as to each man an angel is appointed to guard him. And such guardianship belongs to the lowest order of the angels, whose place it is, according to Gregory, to announce the lesser things, for it seems to be the least of the angelic offices to procure what concerns the salvation of only one man. The other kind of guardianship is universal, multiplied according to the different orders. For the more universal an agent is, the higher it is. Thus, the guardianship of the human race belongs to the order of principalities, or perhaps to the archangels, whom we call the angel princes. Hence Michael, whom we call an archangel, is also styled one of the princes. Daniel 10.13 Moreover, all corporeal creatures are guarded by the virtues, and likewise the demons by the powers, 
and the good spirits by the principalities, according to Gregory's opinion. Homily 34 on the Gospels. Reply to Objection 1. Chrysostom can be taken to mean the highest in the lowest order of angels, for, as Dionysus says, on the heavenly hierarchy, ten, in each order there are first, middle, and last. It is, however, probable that the greater angels are deputed to keep those chosen by God for the higher degree of glory. Reply to Objection 2. Not all the angels who are sent have guardianship of individual men, but some orders have a universal guardianship, greater or less, as above explained. Reply to Objection 3. Even inferior angels exercise the office of the superior, as they share in their gifts, and they are executors of the superior's power. And in this way, all the angels of the lowest order can coerce the demons and work miracles. Fourth article. Whether angels are appointed to the guardianship of all men. Objection 1. It would seem that angels are not appointed to the guardianship of all men. For it is written of Christ, Philemon 2.7, that he was made in the likeness of men and in habit found as a man. If therefore angels are appointed to the guardianship of all men, Christ also would have had an angel guardian. But this is unseemly, for Christ is greater than all the angels. Therefore angels are not appointed to the guardianship of all men. Objection 2. Further, Adam was the first of all men, but it was not fitting that he should have an angel guardian, at least in the state of innocence, for then he was not beset by any dangers. Therefore, angels are not appointed to the guardianship of all men. Objection 3. Further, angels are appointed to the guardianship of men that they may take them by the hand and guide them to the eternal life, encourage them to good works, and protect them against the assaults of the demons. But men who are foreknown to damnation never attain to eternal life. Infidels also, though at times they perform good works, do not perform them well, for they have not a right intention. For faith directs the intention, as Augustine says, in Orations 2 on the Psalms 31. Moreover, the coming of Antichrist will be according to the working of Satan, as it is written, 2 Thessalonians 2.9. Therefore, angels are not deputed to the guardianship of all men. On the contrary, is the authority of Jerome quoted above, Article 2, for he says that each soul has an angel appointed to guard it. I answer that, man, while in this state of life, is, as it were, on a road, by which he should journey towards heaven. On this road, man is threatened by many dangers, both from within and from without, according to Psalm 159.4, In this way wherein I walked, they have hidden a snare for me. And therefore, as guardians are appointed for men who have to pass by an unsafe road, so an angel guardian is assigned to each man as long as he is a wayfarer. When, however, he arrives at the end of life, he no longer has a guardian angel, but in the kingdom he will have an angel to reign with him, in hell a demon to punish him. Reply to Objection 1. Christ as a man was guided immediately by the word of God, wherefore he needed not be guarded by an angel. Again, as regards his soul, he was a comprehensor, although in regard to his passable body, he was a wayfarer. In this latter respect, it was right that he should have not a guardian angel as superior to him, but a ministering angel as inferior to him. 
whence it is written, Matthew 4.11, that angels came and ministered to him. Reply to Objection 2. In the state of innocence, man was not threatened by any peril from within, because within him all was well ordered, as we have said above. Question 94, Articles 1 and 3. But peril threatened from without, on account of the sneers of the demons, as was proved by the event. For this reason he needed a guardian angel. Reply to Objection 3. Just as the foreknown, the infidels, and even Antichrist, are not deprived of the interior help of natural reason, so neither are they deprived of that exterior help granted by God to the whole human race, namely, the guardianship of the angels. And although the help which they receive therefrom does not result in their deserving eternal life by good works, it does nevertheless conduce to their being protected from certain evils which would hurt both themselves and others. For even the demons are held off by the good angels, lest they hurt as much as they would. In like manner, Antichrist will not do as much harm as he would wish. Fifth article. Whether an angel is appointed to guard a man from his birth. Objection 1. It would seem that an angel is not appointed to guard a man from his birth. For angels are sent to minister for them who shall receive the inheritance of salvation, as the Apostle says, Hebrew 1.14. But men begin to receive the inheritance of salvation when they are baptized. Therefore, an angel is appointed to guard a man from the time of his baptism, not of his birth. Objection 2. Further, men are guarded by angels in as far as angels enlighten and instruct them. But children are not capable of instruction as soon as they are born, for they have not the use of reason. Therefore, angels are not appointed to guard children as soon as they are born. Objection 3. Further, a child has a rational soul for some time before birth, just as well as after. But it does not appear that an angel is appointed to guard a child before its birth, for they are not then admitted to the sacraments of the church. Therefore, angels are not appointed to guard men from the moment of their birth. On the contrary, Drum says, see Article 4, that each soul has an angel appointed to guard it from its birth. I answer that, as Origen observes, 5th Tractate on Matthew, there are two opinions on this matter. For some have held that the angel guardian is appointed at the time of baptism, others that he is appointed at the time of birth. The latter opinion Jerome approves, and with reason. For those benefits which are conferred by God on man as a Christian begin with his baptism, such as receiving the Eucharist, and the like. But those which are conferred by God on man as a rational being are bestowed on him at his birth, for then it is that he receives that nature. Among the latter benefits we must count the guardianship of angels, as we have said above, Articles 1 and 4. Wherefore, from the very moment of his birth, man has an angel guardian appointed to him. Reply to Objection 1. Angels are sent to minister, and that efficaciously indeed, for those who shall receive the inheritance of salvation, if we consider the ultimate effect of their guardianship, which is the realizing of that inheritance. But for all that, the angelic ministrations are not withdrawn for others, although they are not so efficacious as to bring them to salvation. 
efficacious nevertheless they are, inasmuch as they ward off many evils. Reply to Objection 2. Guardianship is ordained to enlightenment by instruction, as to its ultimate and principal effect. Nevertheless, it has many other effects consistent with childhood, for instance, to ward off the demons, and to prevent both bodily and spiritual harm. Reply to Objection 3. As long as the child is in the mother's womb, it is not entirely separate, but by reason of a certain intimate tie is still part of her, just as the fruit while hanging on the tree is part of the tree, and therefore it can be said with some degree of probability that the angel who guards the mother guards the child while in the womb. But at its birth, when it becomes separate from the mother, an angel guardian is appointed to it, as Jerome, above quoted, says. Sixth article. Whether the angel guardian ever forsakes a man. Objection 1. It would seem that the angel guardian sometimes forsakes the man whom he is appointed to guard. For it is said, Jeremiah 51.9, in the person of the angels, We would have cured Babylon, but she is not healed. Let us forsake her. And Isaiah 5.5, 5, it is written, I will take away the hedge, that is, the guardianship of the angels, and it shall be wasted. Objection 2. Further, God's guardianship excels that of the angels. But God forsakes men at times, according to Psalm 21.2. O God, my God, look upon me, why hast thou forsaken me? Much rather, therefore, does an angel guardian forsake man. Objection 3. Further, according to Damascene, on the Orthodox faith, 2, 3. When the angels are here with us, they are not in heaven. But sometimes they are in heaven, therefore sometimes they forsake us. On the contrary, the demons are ever assailing us, according to 1 Peter 5, 8. Your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, goeth about, seeking whom he may devour. Much more, therefore, do the good angels ever guard us. I answer that, as appears above, Article 2, the guardianship of the angels is an effect of divine providence in regard to men. Now, it is evident that neither men nor anything at all is entirely withdrawn from the providence of God. For, in as far as a thing participates being, so far is it subject to the providence that extends over all being. God, indeed, is said to forsake men according to the ordering of his providence, but only in so far as he allows men to suffer some defect of punishment or of fault. In like manner, it must be said that the angel guardian never forsakes a man entirely, but sometimes he leaves him in some particular, for instance by not preventing him from being subject to some trouble, or even from falling into sin, according to the ordering of divine judgments. In this sense, Babylon and the house of Israel are said to have been forsaken by the angels, because their angel guardians did not prevent them from being subject to tribulation. From this, the answers are clear to the first and second objections. Reply to Objection 3. Although an angel may forsake a man sometimes locally, he does not, for that reason, forsake him as to the effect of his guardianship. For even when he is in heaven, he knows what is happening to men, nor does he need time for his local motion, for he can be with men in an instant. Seventh article, whether angels grieve for the ills of those whom they guard. 
Objection 1. It would seem that angels grieve for the ills of those whom they guard. For it is written, Isaiah 33, 7, The angels of peace shall weep bitterly. But weeping is a sign of grief and sorrow. Therefore, angels grieve for the ills of those whom they guard. Objection 2. Further, according to Augustine, the City of God, 1415, Sorrow is for those things that happen against our will. But the loss of the man whom he has guarded is against the guardian angel's will. Therefore, angels grieve for the loss of men. Objection 3. Further, as sorrow is contrary to joy, so penance is contrary to sin. But angels rejoice about one sinner doing penance, as we are told, Luke 15.7. Therefore, they grieve for the just man who falls into sin. Objection 4. Further, on Numbers 18.12, Whatsoever firstfruits they offer, etc., the gloss of origin says, the angels are brought to judgment as to whether men have fallen through their negligence or through their own fault. But it is reasonable for anyone to grieve for the ills which have brought him to judgment. Therefore, angels grieve for men's sins. On the contrary, where there is grief and sorrow, there is not perfect happiness. Wherefore, it is written, Revelation 21.4, Death shall be no more, nor mourning, nor crying, nor sorrow. But the angels are perfectly happy. Therefore, they have no cause for grief. I answer that angels do not grieve, either for sins or for the pains inflicted on men. For grief and sorrow, according to Augustine, City of God, 1415, are for those things which occur against our will. But nothing happens in the world contrary to the will of the angels and the other blessed, because their will cleaves entirely to the ordering of divine justice while nothing happens in the world save what is effected or permitted by divine justice. Therefore, simply speaking, nothing occurs in the world against the will of the blessed. For, as the philosopher says, Ethics 3.1, that is called simply voluntary, which a man wills in a particular case and at a particular time, having considered all the circumstances. Although, universally speaking, such a thing would not be voluntary, Thus, the sailor does not will the casting of his cargo into the sea, considered universally and absolutely, but on account of the threatened danger of his life, he wills it. Wherefore, this is voluntary rather than involuntary, as stated in the same passage. Therefore, universally and absolutely speaking, the angels do not will sin and the pains inflicted on its account, but they do will the fulfillment of the ordering of divine justice in this matter, in respect of which some are subjected to pains and are allowed to fall into sin. Reply to Objection 1. These words of Isaiah's may be understood of the angels, that is, the messengers of Ezekias, who wept on account of the words of Rabzasis, as related in Isaiah 37, 2 and following. This would be the literal sense. According to the allegorical sense, the angels of peace are the apostles and preachers, who weep for men's sins. If according to the anagogical sense this passage be expounded of the blessed angels, then the expression is metaphorical, and signifies that, universally speaking, the angels will the salvation of mankind. For in this sense we attribute passions to God and the angels. 
The reply to the second objection appears from what has been said. Reply to Objection 3. Both in man's repentance and in man's sin there is one reason for the angel's joy, namely the fulfillment of the ordering of the divine providence. Reply to Objection 4. The angels are brought into judgment for the sins of men, not as guilty, but as witnesses to convict men of weakness. Eighth Article. Whether there can be strife or discord among the angels. Objection 1. It would seem that there can be no strife or discord among the angels. For it is written, Job 25.2, Who maketh peace in his high places. But strife is opposed to peace. Therefore, among the high angels there is no strife. Objection 2. Further, where there is perfect charity and just authority, there can be no strife. But all this exists among the angels. Therefore, there is no strife among the angels. Objection 3. Further, if we say that angels strive for those whom they guard, one angel must needs take one side, and another angel the opposite side. But if one side is in the right, the other side is in the wrong. It will follow, therefore, that a good angel is a compounder of wrong, which is unseemly. Therefore, there is no strife among good angels. On the contrary, it is written, Daniel 10.13, the prince of the kingdom of the Persians resisted me one and twenty days. But this prince of the Persians was the angel deputed to the guardianship of the kingdom of the Persians. Therefore, one good angel resists the others, and thus there is strife among them. I answer that the raising of this question is occasioned by this passage of Daniel. Jerome explains it by saying that the prince of the kingdom of the Persians is the angel who opposed the setting free of the people of Israel, for whom Daniel was praying, his prayers being offered to God by Gabriel. And this resistance of his may have been caused by some prince of the demons having led the Jewish captives in Persia into sin, which sin was an impediment to the efficacy of the prayer which Daniel put up for that same people. But according to Gregory, morals in the book of Job, the prince of the kingdom of Persia was a good angel, appointed to the guardianship of that kingdom. To see, therefore, how one angel can be said to resist another, we must note that the divine judgments in regard to various kingdoms and various men are executed by the angels. Now, in their actions the angels are ruled by the divine decree, but it happens at times, in various kingdoms or various men, there are contrary merits or demerits, so that one of them is subject to or placed over another. As to what is the ordering of divine wisdom on such matters, the angels cannot know it unless God reveal it to them, and so they need to consult divine wisdom thereupon. Wherefore, for as much as they consult the divine will concerning various contrary and opposing merits, they are said to resist one another. Not that their wills are in opposition, since they are all of one mind as to the fulfillment of the divine decree, but that the things about which they seek knowledge are in opposition. From this, the answers to the objections are clear. End of question 113. Question 114 of Summa Theologica Pars Prima on the Divine Government. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit 
LibriVox.org. Summa Theologica, Pars Prima, on the Divine Government, by St. Thomas Aquinas, translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province, Question 114, of the Assaults of the Demons. We now consider the assaults of the demons. Under this head there are five points of inquiry. 1. Whether men are assailed by the demons. 2. Whether to tempt is proper to the devil. 3. Whether all the sins of men are to be set down to the assaults or temptations of the demons. 4. Whether they can work real miracles for the purpose of leading men astray. 5. Whether the demons who are overcome by men are hindered from making further assaults. First Article whether men are assailed by the demons objection one it would seem that men are not assailed by the demons for angels are sent by god to guard men but demons are not sent by god for the demons intention is the loss of souls whereas god's is the salvation of souls therefore demons are not deputed to assail men objection two further it is not a fair fight for the weak to be set against the strong and the ignorant against the astute but men are weak and ignorant whereas the demons are strong and astute it is not therefore to be permitted by god the author of all justice that men should be assailed by demons objection three further the assaults of the flesh and the world are enough for man's exercise but God permits his elect to be assailed that they may be exercised. Therefore, there is no need for them to be assailed by the demons. On the contrary, the apostle says, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12, A wrestling is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the world of this darkness, against the spirits of wickedness in the high places. I answer that two things may be considered in the assault of the demons, the assault itself and the ordering thereof. The assault itself is due to the malice of the demons, who through envy endeavor to hinder man's progress, and through pride usurp a semblance of divine power by deputing certain ministers to assail man, as the angels of God in their various offices minister to man's salvation. But the ordering of the assault is from God, who knows how to make orderly use of evil by ordering it to good. On the other hand, in regard to the angels, both their guardianship and the ordering thereof are to be referred to God as their first author. Reply. Objection 1. The wicked angels assail men in two ways. Firstly, by instigating them to sin and thus they are not sent by god to assail us but are sometimes permitted to do so according to god's just judgments but sometimes their assault is a punishment to man and thus they are sent by god as the lying spirit was sent to punish ahab king of israel as is related in the third book of kings chapter twenty two verse twenty for punishment is referred to god as its first author nevertheless the demons who are sent to punish do so with an intention other than that for which they are sent for they punish from hatred or envy whereas they are sent by god on account of his justice reply objection to in order that the conditions of the fight be not unequal 
there is as regards man the promised recompense to be gained principally through the grace of god secondarily through the guardianship of the angels wherefore fourth book of kings chapter six verse sixteen eliseus said to his servant fear not for there are more with us than with them reply objection three the assault of the flesh and the world would suffice for the exercise of human weakness but it does not suffice for the demon's malice which makes use of both the above in assailing men but by the divine ordinance this tends to the glory of the elect second article whether to tempt is proper to the devil objection one it would seem that to tempt is not proper to the devil for god is said to tempt according to genesis chapter twenty two verse one god tempted abraham moreover man is tempted by the flesh and the world again man is said to tempt god and to tempt man therefore it is not proper to the devil to tempt objection to further to tempt is a sign of ignorance but the demons know what happens among men therefore the demons do not tempt objection three further temptation is the road to sin now sin dwells in the will since therefore the demons cannot change man's will as appears from what has been said above question one hundred eleven article two it seems that it is not in their province to tempt on the contrary it is written first thessalonians chapter three verse five lest perhaps he that tempteth should have tempted you to which the gloss adds that is the devil whose office it is to tempt i answer that to tempt is properly speaking to make trial of something now we make trial of something in order to know something about it hence the immediate end of every tempter is knowledge but sometimes another end either good or bad is sought to be acquired through that knowledge a good end when for instance one desires to know of someone what sort of a man he is as to knowledge or virtue with a view to his promotion a bad end when that knowledge is sought with the purpose of deceiving or ruining him from this we can gather how various beings are said to tempt in various ways for man is said to tempt sometimes indeed merely for the sake of knowing something and for this reason it is a sin to tempt god for man being uncertain as it were presumes to make an experiment of god's power sometimes too he tempts in order to help sometimes in order to hurt the devil however always tempts in order to hurt by urging man into sin in this sense it is said to be his proper office to tempt for thought at times man tempts thus he does this as minister of the devil god is said to tempt that he may know in the same sense as that is said to know which makes others to know hence it is written deuteronomy chapter thirteen verse three the lord your god trieth you that it may appear whether you love him the flesh and the world are said to tempt as the instruments or matter of temptations inasmuch as one can know what sort of man someone is according as he follows or resists the desires of the flesh and according as he despises worldly advantages and adversity of which things the devil also makes use in tempting 
Thus the reply to the first objection is clear. Reply. Objection 2. The demons know what happens outwardly among men, but the inward disposition of man God alone knows, who is the wearer of spirits. Proverbs chapter 16 verse 2 It is this disposition that makes man more prone to one vice than to another. Hence the devil tempts in order to explore this inward disposition of man, so that he may tempt him to that vice to which he is most prone. Reply. Objection 3. Although a demon cannot change the will, yet, as stated above, question 111, article 3, he can change the inferior powers of man in a certain degree, by which powers, though the will cannot be forced, it can nevertheless be inclined. Third article. Whether all sins are due to the temptation of the devil. Objection 1. It would seem that all sins are due to the temptation of the devil, for Dionysius says, Divine names for, that the multitude of demons is the cause of all evils, both to themselves and to others. And Damascene says, on the orthodox faith, 2 and 4, that all malice and all uncleanness have been devised by the devil. Objection 2 further of every sinner can be said what the lord said of the jews john chapter eight verse forty four you are of your father the devil but this was in as far as they sinned through the devil's instigation therefore every sin is due to the devil's instigation objection three further as angels are deputed to guard men so demons are deputed to assail men but every good thing we do is due to the suggestion of the good angels, because the divine gifts are borne to us by the angels. Therefore, all the evil we do is due to the instigation of the devil. On the contrary, it is written, On the dogmas of the church, 49, Not all our evil thoughts are stirred up by the devil, but sometimes they arise from the movement of our free will. I answer that, one thing can be the cause of another in two ways, directly and indirectly. Indirectly, as when an agent is the cause of a disposition to a certain effect, it is said to be the occasional and indirect cause of that effect. For instance, we might say that he who dries the wood is the cause of the wood burning. In this way, we must admit that the devil is the cause of all our sins, because he it was who instigated the first man to sin, from whose sin there resulted a proneness to sin in the whole human race. And in this sense, we must take the words of Damascene and Dionysius. But a thing is said to be the direct cause of something, when its action tends directly thereunto. And in this way the devil is not the cause of every sin, for all sins are not committed at the devil's instigation, but some are due to the free will and the corruption of the flesh. For as Origen says, on first principles 3, even if there were no devil, men would have the desire for food and love and such like pleasures, with regard to which many disorders may arise unless those desires are curbed by reason, especially if we presuppose the corruption of our natures. Now it is in the power of the free will to curb this appetite and keep it in order. 
Consequently, there is no need for all sins to be due to the instigation of the devil, but those sins which are due thereto, man perpetrates through being deceived by the same blandishments as were our first parents, as Isidore says, on the supreme good, too. Thus the answer to the first objection is clear. Reply. Objection 2. When man commits sin without being thereto instigated by the devil, he nevertheless becomes a child of the devil thereby, in so far as he imitates him who was the first to sin. Reply. Objection 3. Man can of his own accord fall into sin, but he cannot advance in merit without the divine assistance, which is borne to man by the ministry of the angels. For this reason the angels take part in all our good works, whereas all our sins are not due to the demon's instigation. Nevertheless, there is no kind of sin which is not sometimes due to the demon's suggestion. Fourth Article Whether demons can lead men astray by means of real miracles. Objection 1. It would seem that the demons cannot lead men astray by means of real miracles. For the activity of the demons will show itself especially in the works of Antichrist. But as the Apostle says, Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, His coming is according to the working of Satan in all power and signs and lying wonders. Much more, therefore, at other times do the demons perform lying wonders. Objection 2. Further, true miracles are wrought by some corporeal change, but demons are unable to change the nature of a body. For Augustine says, The City of God, 18 and 18, I cannot believe that the human body can receive the limbs of a beast by means of a demon's art or power. Therefore, the demons cannot work real miracles. Objection 3. Further, an argument is useless which may prove both ways. If, therefore, real miracles can be wrought by demons to persuade one of what is false, they will be useless to confirm the teaching of the faith. This is unfitting, for it is written, Mark chapter 16, verse 20, The Lord working withal, and confirming the word with signs that followed. On the contrary, Augustine says, question 83, Book 21, Sentence 4 Among the supposititious works of St. Augustine, often by means of the magic art, miracles are wrought like those which are wrought by the servants of God. I answer that, as is clear from what has been said above, Question 110, Article 4, If we take a miracle in the strict sense, the demons cannot work miracles nor can any creature, but God alone, since in the strict sense a miracle is something done outside the order of the entire created nature, under which order every power of a creature is contained. But sometimes miracle may be taken in a wide sense for whatever exceeds the human power and experience. And thus demons can work miracles, that is, things which rouse man's astonishment by reason of their being beyond his power and outside his sphere of knowledge. For even a man, by doing what is beyond the power and knowledge of another, leads him to marvel at what he has done, so that in a way he seems to that man to have worked a miracle. 
it is to be noted however that although these works of demons which appear marvelous to us are not real miracles they are sometimes nevertheless something real thus the magicians of pharaoh by the demon's power produced real serpents and frogs and when fire came down from heaven and at one blow consumed job's servants and sheep when the storm struck down his house and with it his children these were the work of satan not phantoms as augustine says the city of god twenty and nineteen reply objection one as augustine says in the same place the works of antichrist may be called lying wonders either because he will deceive men's senses by means of phantoms so that he will not really do what he will seem to do or because if he work real prodigies they will lead those into falsehood who believe in him reply objection to as we have said above question one hundred ten article two corporeal matter does not obey either good or bad angels at their will so that demons be able by their power to transmute matter from one form to another but they can employ certain seeds that exist in the elements of the world in order to produce these effects as augustine says on the trinity three eight and nine therefore it must be admitted that all the transformation of corporeal things which can be produced by certain natural powers to which we must assign the seeds above mentioned can alike be produced by the operation of the demons by the employment of these seeds such as the transformation of certain things into serpents or frogs which can be produced by putrefaction on the contrary those transformations which cannot be produced by the power of nature cannot in reality be effected by the operation of the demons for instance that the human body be changed into the body of a beast or that the body of a dead man return to life and if at times something of this sort seems to be effected by the operation of demons it is not real but a mere semblance of reality now this may happen in two ways firstly from within in this way a demon can work on man's imagination and even on his corporeal senses so that something seems otherwise that it is as explained above question one hundred eleven articles three and four it is said indeed that this can be done sometimes by the power of certain bodies secondly from without for just as he can from the air form a body of any form and shape and assume it so as to appear in it visibly so in the same way he can clothe any corporeal thing with any corporeal form so as to appear therein this is what augustine says the city of god eighteen and eighteen man's imagination which whether thinking or dreaming takes the forms of an innumerable number of things appears to other men's senses as it were embodied in the semblance of some animal this not to be understood as though the imagination itself or the images formed therein were identified with that which appears embodied to the senses of another man but that the demon who forms an image in a man's imagination can offer the same picture to another man's senses reply objection three as augustine says eighty-three different questions question seventy-nine 
when magicians do what holy men do they do it for a different end and by a different right the former do it for their own glory the latter for the glory of god the former by certain private compacts the latter by the evident assistance and command of god to whom every creature is subject fifth article whether a demon who is overcome by man is for this reason hindered from making further assaults objection one it would seem that a demon who is overcome by a man is not for that reason hindered from any further assault for christ overcame the tempter most effectively yet afterwards the demon assailed him by instigating the jews to kill him therefore it is not true that the devil when conquered ceases his assaults objection to further to inflict punishment on one who has been worsted in a fight is to incite him to a sharper attack but this is not befitting god's mercy therefore the conquered demons are not prevented from further assaults on the contrary it is written matthew chapter four verse eleven then the devil left him that is christ who overcame i answer that some say that when once a demon has been overcome he can no more tempt any man at all neither to the same nor to any other sin and others say that he can tempt others but not the same man this seems more probable as long as we understand it to be so for a certain definite time wherefore luke chapter four verse thirteen it is written all temptation being ended the devil departed from him for a time there are two reasons for this one is on the part of god's clemency for as chrysostom says homily five on the gospel of saint matthew in the opus imperfectum among his supposititious works the devil does not tempt man for just as long as he likes but for as long as god allows for although he allows him to tempt for a short time he orders him off on account of our weakness the other reason is taken from the astuteness of the devil as to this ambrose says on luke chapter four verse thirteen the devil is afraid of persisting because he shrinks from frequent defeat that the devil does nevertheless sometimes return to the assault is apparent from matthew chapter twelve verse forty four I will return into my house from whence I came out. From what has been said, the objections can easily be solved. End of question 114. Recording by Shena Sayre, Fresno, California.